This show is part of the Pika Science Podcast, studying the intersection of video games and science. Close your eyes and imagine this situation. You're thinking really hard right now because this is that moment. You're in the finals of the greatest Pokemon battle you will ever have. And you brought your team of six, preparing to go up against your opponent's team of six. And now it becomes a game of rock, paper, scissors almost. A game of prediction. A game of trying to figure out what move you can take to overcome your opponent's thought process. Weirdly enough, this entire concept is an economics thing. In fact, it's something in a specific avenue, a specific field of one of my favorite areas of economics, period. Welcome to Game Theory. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Pokonomics here on the Pika Science Podcast channel. That's a lot of P's, I've just realized, uh, which is very funny for some reason. I'm your host, Anaru himself. We're going to dive into game theory, and a specific avenue of game theory, which you could probably tell, maybe if it's in the title, The Prisoner's Dilemma. Why did I choose this? Honestly, I wanted to... So, fun fact, I'm going back into school right now, and in the various levels of education that I'm going through, uh, part of my classes, unsurprisingly, being an econ guy, is focusing on the econ stuff. And so while reviewing old notes and finding textbooks that I've got to dust off, one of the sections that I accidentally stumbled into was about game theory, and the prisoner's dilemma in particular. And this, I have to, I'm sharing this with you now, I love game theory. I love game theory, all the different aspects of game theory, the idea that in a way, a lot of economic decisions are boiled down to this small interaction between business and business, customer and customer, customer and business. It's all a game being played in a way to see who can end up on top in this individual situation. And then of course, if you stack all of them together, you create the economy that you see today. One aspect of game theory is the prisoner's dilemma. So we're going to discuss what the prisoner's dilemma is, and more importantly, where you see this in Pokemon, because while it's the prisoner's dilemma and the actual example is a little dark, you see this a lot in all sorts of applications. But let's talk about that prisoner's dilemma. Let's lay down the foundation, though, before we get started with anything. So game theory itself is technically, you could consider it a branch of mathematics or economics, studying the interactions between rational decision makers. And the prisoner's dilemma in particular is one of the most well-known and popular examples in game theory. So, let's imagine two different suspects. I'm going to pull some random names out here. Uh, you know what? Why not? Because, you know, they, they, they ended the series on top. Let's go with them. Let's imagine two suspects. Ash and Go. They've both been taken into custody by Officer Jenny for a crime, but there's no real concrete evidence against either of them. I'm going to say that one of them or both of them accidentally tried to catch somebody else's Pokemon. I don't know. Whatever crime you want to give them. Both of them are now placed into separate interrogation rooms. Now, the officer in question offers them a deal. If one of them confesses and the other remains silent, the confessor 
gets a light sentence, while the silent one gets a harsh sentence. If both confess, they both get moderate sentences, and if both are silenced, they get basically no sentence. They, they still serve something, but almost nothing. Now this is where it gets interesting. If you break down the actual outcomes itself, you can actually do this in a little grid, and I recommend doing that because a lot of game theory and prisoner's dilemma, talking about, I'm going to throw terms out here that we're not really going to discuss, but like Nash equilibrium and stuff like that. All of that you can kind of see by building a little chart. So if you want to, go ahead and grab a pen and paper, make this little 4 by 4 a 2 by 2 to be precise. 2 by 2 is so a 4 square grid. So you can actually make this chart yourself on one side, put Ash on the other side, put Go, and you can put the two different choices that they can make, whether to confess or to remain silent. So, in this specific chart, let's if you want to build this out, go ahead. Uh, in this specific chart, we'll go through each of the separate different outcomes. So, if Ash and Go both stay silent, both of them, let's say, serves a one day without Pokemon battling sentence. Right, they cannot battle for a single day. I know Go isn't as much of a battler as Ash is, but let's say both of them are in this case. Uh, in, in the, we'll we'll customize it for them. One day without battling and one day without catching Pokemon. Um, so that's that would be the case if both of them stayed silent. If both of them confessed, then both of them would have to wait five days before they could either do a battle or catch a Pokemon. Now what happens if one of them does one thing and one of them does the other thing? Well, the person that confesses gets off scot-free, let's say. Let's make it even easier. They get off completely scot-free, they can go back to catching Pokemon or battling, whatever's in their fancy. But the other person, if they stay silent, has to go 10 days without catching or battling Pokemon. A very large sentence. Now by building this chart, you can actually sort of see and map out the way that each of these players, in this case, want to proceed with this little mini-game, the dilemma. Let's take Ash, for example. Ash has two choices. Ash can either confess or remain silent. Let's look at each of those and see what would happen. Well, if Ash confesses, then Go is going to confess as well. Because that way, Go could either choose, if Ash is going to confess, the options Go has is to either serve a 5-day sentence or a 10-day sentence. Between those, Go is going to prefer the five-day sentence, and so Go is going to confess. If Ash stays silent, the same situation applies. Go can either serve a one-day sentence or a zero-day sentence. Go is going to choose the zero-day sentence, and therefore that means that Go is going to confess. So regardless of how Ash is going to operate, Go is going to confess, which means that Ash, in turn, is going to follow that same logic and confess as well thus leading to a situation where, assuming they couldn't communicate prior to this, and they were going off of just pure logic without any preparation, and assuming Ash and Go don't know the prisoner's dilemma, which, to be honest, they're 10, I, I don't think they would know about this economics topic that's usually taught in high school, means that they're likely both going to confess, thus meaning both are going to serve the five-day sentence, despite the fact that the quote-unquote best option would have been for both of them to stay silent and serving only a one-day sentence. That's the prisoner's dilemma in a nutshell. This idea that because you could take an action that would cause problems to me, I'm going to take the action first, which incentivizes you to take the action, thus leading us to a quote-unquote worse situation overall. Rational decision-making has come into play here. Both Ash and Go are going to logically choose to confess because it seems to be in their best interest regardless of the other's choice. The best collective outcome of staying silent 
isn't achieved due to that personal want to make sure your sentence is as small as possible. This basically reveals how personal incentives can lead to counterproductive outcomes in certain situations. Now, this isn't just a thought experiment to be isolated to police interrogation rooms. It's got practical applications as well. It's used to understand various different situations where cooperation and competition intersect from business negotiations, environmental agreements, quite literally the fact that two gas stations across the corner from each other have basically the same prices even though they're from different companies, that's all prisoner's dilemma. Now, researchers have found that if you play this over and over again, individuals are more likely to adopt strategies promoting cooperation. One such strategy, for example, is called tit-for-tat, an idea where my actions are going to mirror your actions. In other words, as long as you are on the straight and narrow, I'll be on the straight and narrow. But the first time you try to get one up on me, the first time that you confess when I stay silent, then I'm going to confess and just ruin the game for you. Because at that point, I no longer trust you. That's showing the power of these repeated interactions, actually changing the way that people think, moving away from that personal gain to more of that cooperation game. Now remember, the prisoner's dilemma itself demonstrates the challenges of balancing individual and collective interests, teaching us that understanding motivations and strategies of others can lead to better outcomes for all sorts of parties. And this is where we shift over into Pokemon. Have you ever seen a competitive Pokemon battler? Like not not in the sense of like someone just going on their Nintendo Switch or Nintendo DS and going and playing any sort of multi-battle. I'm talking the big ones. The ones that are streamed on YouTube by the Pokemon company, the ones that have the the people that have trained their lives, IV and EV training Pokemon to become the best they can be, all for that brief moment of calculation to make sure we break the speed die or have one up on that attack stat. That's what I want to talk about. All of them, when they're making their decisions, are going through the prisoner's dilemma, or it's various different complicated methods of it. Because they're constantly thinking, with the relatively limited number of options that they could choose, now granted, these quickly exponentially grow bigger with the sheer volume of Pokemon out there and the number of moves and strategies, the EV builds, the IV builds, the, the, the forms, for example, because that's starting to play a role. All of that does have an impact here, but for simplicity's sake, we'll just go with a standard, you know, basic level battle. There aren't a lot of options. Now, I mean, certainly you could choose to do basically anything, but a lot of them sort of get tossed out immediately. For example, if you're going up against a ground type, you're probably not going to go switch into a Pokemon that has exclusively electric moves, right? That just doesn't make much sense. So if you narrow down all of those options that don't really make much sense, you sort of whittle down your event tree to a limited number of options. And this is where that prisoner's dilemma comes into play. Have you ever, when you've done a multiplayer battle, or just against an NPC even, depending on the NPC, of course, have you ever wondered, okay, what are they going to do? Are they going to switch? Are they going to heal if it's an in-game battle? Are they going to use a move I didn't expect? Are they going to use the move I know to expect? All of that is based on this idea of game theory and the dilemma. You, you remember that grid that we filled out for the prisoner's dilemma? It's basically you doing that, except with many more rows and many more columns. Various different things. One column is, should I use Surf? One column is, should I switch into this Grass-type Pokemon? This other column is, should I use this move I haven't revealed yet, but then giving my opponent new information? That's all based on this game theory concept. Even before a battle itself, you're assessing your opponent, you think about a profile, right? 
what type of player are they? Are they an offensive player that goes based on attack, attack, attack? Are they a defensive player that goes a stall game? Do they prioritize speed, or are they a trick room team? All of this is determined beforehand, and then during the battle itself, just based on their actions and how they're going, you can try to determine what type of actions they'll be taking. And again, it's you building that grid, determining what action they'll take, and then what you will do instead. It's kind of hard to come up with this on the top of my head, and I'll be honest, between you and me, I am not a competitive battler, but think about examples of like the very beginning of a battle, for example. You start off the battle, you've thrown your Pokemon out, that itself is a decision made, because when you begin a battle, especially these multiplayer competitive teams, you get to see your opponent's team and then pick a certain number of the ones that you brought. So of the six Pokemon you brought, if it's a doubles battle, for example, you get to choose four of the six that you bring to actually go into battle with, and your opponent does the same. So I know when I played a lot of Pokemon Battle Revolution on the Wii, um, if you're a Pokemon Stadium player, you'll probably know this as well, but when you get to see your opponent and then choose which Pokemon you're going to choose from, first thing I think of is type advantages. All right, they've got this type, this type, this type, and this type. Well, based on that, I don't want to bring this guy in because they're going to lose to three of those Pokemon. But I'll bring you in because you're actually not weak to any of them. And that this person has a super effective move. You do all that sort of thing. Again, that all of that is based on this prisoner's dilemma. And then when you get into the battle itself, then... Is the first Pokemon you brought out a Pokemon that can set up status moves? Are you going to use a turn to use a status move because you think they're going to use a move that, say, doesn't do damage? Or you expect them to do a move that doesn't do a lot of damage? Are they going to switch out? All of this is based, and you're running through this with the power of your brain hundreds and thousands of times faster than the Prisoner's Dilemma itself, right? That's the fun thing about this. So I recommend just thinking about that. Thinking about that giant decision tree that you actually make, right? So next time, as we go back to our little example here, next time you find yourself in a Pokemon battle, especially against another person, it works better with another person as opposed to an NPC because you can kind of figure out the formula behind the NPC, especially in the earlier generations of games. But when you're going up against another player, a real person, and you see what their actions are, and you're starting to calculate what type of action will I take next to respond to what they did, Think about that. Think about the decision tree itself. If you're going against someone that doesn't mind you taking time, if you want, build out the decision tree. You'll probably see that that tree has a lot of branches, and those have little twigs off of those which have various different leaves, and then if you look at the leaves themselves, they've got different veins that are themselves their own different pathways. And all of this is going through your brain at a million miles of seconds, so hopefully you make the right decision to win that Pokemon battle at the end. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take care.